I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team better. Except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we got a good one today because our old friend... Uh, a regular occurring, I guess he's, you know, he's an official friend of the program, but maybe he's more than that. Maybe we're moving on to a next level. Uh, who knows? But his name is Kyle, man. You've heard him before. We love talking basketball. We're going to do uh, Tate's top five playoff takeaways from the weekend. We're going to run through that. I'm going to throw it at Kyle, man. Let him uh, give us some reactions. So that'll be fun. We're also going to do our first edition of Dick Watch 2023. Uh, Kyle, settle is, down. <laughs> you're very excited about this. Hunter Dickinson, uh, the Bigfoot of college basketball is what I'm calling him. He's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. He's taking meetings with Kentucky. John Calipari's coming in with the bag. So we'll talk about that. There's also another uh, double entendre of this. We're also going to talk about Dylan Brooks hitting LeBron uh, in the nuts, uh, nut shots in general in playoff history. It's we're, it's becoming a phenomenon, unlike anything we've ever seen. When I think of a nut shot, I think of Chris Paul, Julius Hodge, way back in 2005. So. You know, we'll talk about all that. We'll get in the nuance of that. We'll also talk about some EYBL stuff. Um, there's one name that you need to know in basketball. His name is Cooper Flag, um, and I, we're ahead of the times here. He's probably going to go to Duke, so I don't want to talk too much about him, but he had 52 points in the EYBL game. 
I know some people were, were upset about this because it was 16 and under and not 17 and under. Get off the semantics. We'll talk about Cooper Flag. There's a lot of hype there. Uh, Kyle Mann wants to hit that, so we'll get into that. And again, um, you know, this is One Shining Podcast. It's the offseason. We have room to talk about what we want to, and that's why, uh, if you don't even know what EYBL is, it's Nike Circuit, I was right? guessing. I was like, is that a European youth I was, <laughs> basketball I mean, league? it's Elite Youth Basketball oh, okay. League, um, and then the acronym is EYBL. Uh, it's kind of strange now because it used to be the thing, right? You would go there. These are the future players in college basketball, but now we have the portal. So all these coaches are still going to EYBL, but they're thinking to themselves, I'll recruit this guy in three years, you know, when he's at another school and I want him to come play for right, me. Right, who the fuck cares? Right, because <laughs> it's portal season and uh, everyone wants to go portaling. So we'll talk about all that. It'll be fun. Um, and just, you know, in general, we're going to hit something that we love on the show, which is mysteries. Um, and this is a big mystery from back in the day. Maybe you remember the name, Billy Preston. The Billy Preston mystery. Kyle, I hope you have the music queued up. We'll, we'll play it. Not right now. but I, I still have that dollar. Yeah. I, once we get into the podcast, we'll do the Billy Preston mystery. Our guy, Kyle Mann, decided to listen to the podcast um, where they discussed Billy Preston's whole bag experience. His mom, a.k.a. a bag mom. We love the bag mom. She kind of becomes the fall guy slash bag mom in the situation. But uh, we'll talk all about it. It, it is a mystery. Um, familiar, but also distant. You know, So we'll get you up to date. Billy Preston's back. Are you excited about this, Kyle? Because we're, we get to talk about the bag again, and it sounds very nefarious in this uh, in this little narrative doc they put together. I am excited, and I'm just wondering: was that the dude who signed my dollar? Was that him? That was Billy Preston. That was him. Oh yeah, man, you, we could we get we could you have go back dollar. to summer league. I'm transported. I lost that dollar. You did lose. I the lost dollar. that dollar. But that dollar, I mean, the fact that he was signing autographs for money didn't was not lost lost <laughs> on us. Um, we read between the lines there. Um, maybe we solved the Billy Preston mystery right there, boots on the ground. Um, but it's a very interesting podcast. Obviously, the things that Billy Preston did, um, you know, is now pretty much legal in the new landscape of NIL. So it's not as nefarious as they want it to be, but it's still fun for the show. So we'll talk about the bag. I love talking about the bag. It's one of my favorite things to do. So we got a jam-packed podcast of OSP. It is the off-season. Big topics, big playoff thoughts. Steph Curry called a timeout very similar to Chris Webber, which was great for our show. A nice little nod to uh, what we saw back in 1993. All good things coming. Um, it's going to be a fun show, Kyle. Anything else before we get into this? Nothing. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, welcome back into One Shining Podcast. It is a late Monday night on the East Coast, Monday evening here on the West Coast in Los Angeles, and I am sitting on a Zoom call looking at Kyle Mann right now. And Kyle, we have a lot to discuss in the world of basketball today. We're going to do some playoff talk. We're going to talk some Hunter Dickinson because you are our Kentucky Blue Blood expert. We'll talk a little bit about that. Maybe hit some EYBL. There's a lot to discuss in the world of basketball, but first and foremost, there's a there's a controversy I want to talk to you about before we get into all that, and that is the controversy of uh, what is going on with the NBA playoffs. A lot of people, a lot of haters, a lot of detractors are out there. They're talking bad. They're saying the first round is bad. They're saying injuries are bad. They're pointing fingers. All types of stuff is going on. You are an NBA guy. We are watching the NBA playoffs together. First and foremost, how do you address this this big narrative, this big theme that's going on? Because I see it everywhere. Very similar to charges like we talked about about a week ago, right? This is the new theme. Everyone says the first round sucks. 
Okay, what do we do about that? Do we make it five games again? I feel like we have this conversation every year. I right. mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is the first round. The, the matchups get a little bit better as we go because the good teams are still standing. Um, it's not like the games have just been like horrible. It's just that, well, I, I think the biggest thing is the injury bug. It's just been carnage, man. I mean, we, we've gotten injuries to Embiid. We know Harden is a little gimpy. We know KD's coming back from, from an injury, but he's being um, run into the ground, maybe by his own volition or by Monty Williams. We don't know. Uh, then we had, you know, Kawhi, who looked like the best player on earth at times when he was healthy and in there. He just looked unflappable in his typical Kawhi self. And then this news comes out about De'Aaron Fox, and it's just like, you know, I made I made the comment that the you know it's a tough day for news about Fox with the with the network and <laughs> and De'Aaron Fox going down. I was saying that that's probably going to be a shoe in for the overworked Twitter joke of the week. I don't want to I don't want to yeah. do Brian and David's job for them, <laughs> but it feels like a shoe in to me. That yeah, would be you my got vote. Um, but it's just been carnage, man. I mean, like De'Aaron Fox being out is such a tough blow for Sacramento, and just straight up like the matchups. I'll be honest, I I have had the thought like I'm not. I'm not like juiced, juiced, you know, like the, the king. There have been some good like Knicks Cavs games that I have had a good time watching. Um, and it's been kind of interesting to see the the Miami Heat, you know, continue their zombie routine and sort of uh, come back to life over and over and over again. But uh, overall, you know, in the in the Kings Warriors, but overall, it has been a little if we're being honest, Tate, if I made you if I, you know, held a held a water gun to your head and said, I'm going to squirt you. Um, <laughs> if I if I said that, what would you say? Would you would you say that this has been like a super super exciting first round? What do you think? I think it was because we all with the load management narrative that was happening throughout the entire season. Everyone was saying, "Well, once we get to the playoffs, we're going to see the best players play." This is the whole point. The regular season doesn't matter. We save up for the playoffs. We're going to see great basketball, and then we get to the playoffs, and these same people are now sitting on the bench, and everyone is up in arms, and they're saying, "Wait a second, did you just pull one over on us? We we thought the regular season didn't matter. Are you sitting out again?" And unfortunately, they're not sitting out. Unfortunately, they are injured. And, you know, you mentioned Kawhi. I feel like I, I saw a Stephen A clip. I think he clarified this already because that's the world of takes that we live in. But, you know, he said he was the worst superstar ever, you know, as if Kawhi Leonard is uh, voluntarily. What right. What a take. Like, <laughs> that's why he makes the money, folks. <laughs> as if he's voluntarily sitting out. And I think, like I said, he went back and clarified it and, you know, tried to some put, put some conditions around it, said it got aggregated. Right. We can always blame the aggregators. But I think that's the world that we live in right now. We have a lot of instigators and a lot of aggregators, right? It's a it's a world full of gators out there. Um, and unfortunately, in the NBA, right, the, the narrative is painted this way. And in reality, these guys are actually hurt. Like, I, I was shocked that Giannis didn't come back in game one, right? I mean, when he didn't come back and it was just a contusion, that's shocking because Giannis, we talked about it. You know, BJ was on the show last Wednesday. We thought he tore his ACL. Um, you know, against the Hawks back in 2021. And the guy comes back and wins, you know, with a with a 50 piece right in the NBA finals. So, you know, he seems like someone that is, uh, you know, going to overcome pretty much anything, but he's out games and that's affecting a series. So like at every single level, the best player in the world is out. Kawhi Leonard looked like the best player in the world for a couple of games. He's out. Kevin Durant is nicked up and also playing more minutes than he probably should on a normal playoff roster. But this thing has been kind of thrown together and sewn together and it's not what it should be. Joel Embiid, as soon as it looks like, all right, we're going to get a sweep and he's going to fly over the edge. 
he's out, right? And now I saw, uh, you know, Shams was saying he'll be back for game one, hopefully in the next round. But just in general, it, it feels like we're just talking about injuries and we thought that we were going to be promised this, like, injury-free run in the playoffs. And that's not how, how it ever works, right? I mean, that, that's just the unfortunate part of the business. And I just feel like it's bad PR. And I don't know who's running the narrative. I don't know who's creating the narratives, who's concocting, you know, the storylines that are coming out. But we got to get a control of this because, uh, you know, even Charles Barkley, right, on TNT, he's like, I'm watching hockey. <laughs> he's like, I'm watching the NHL playoffs instead of the <laughs> NBA playoffs. So uh, at a large scale, one, I wanted to address the narrative head on. And two, I wanted to figure see if you and I could figure out how to fix it before we talk about some of the basketball stuff. I, I personally think five games makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring back two things, hand checking and the five game first round series. It's enough. We only need to see five games. We know who the best team is pretty much at this point, right? Unless something crazy were to happen. Even in the, the Bucks miami series, when Giannis is back, it's like, okay, I see who the better team is here. Uh, I'm not convinced the Bucks are the best team, but in general. So th- those would be my two pitches. Bring back hand-checking and bring back the five-game first-round series. That's all I want, Kyle, man, and I think we're going to be a better place. Yeah, th- th- the thing about the five-game series it, that's interesting is that it can swing both ways. You know, it can allow the good teams to kind of take care of business quickly or, you know, faster than, than like having to do a full seven game series with like a, a way inferior that's load opponent. That, that's load management. As far as I can tell, Kyle, man, less games, that's load yeah. management. Come on. Or, or you get in these situations where, you know, maybe there's an upstart team that has more of an ability to make a good team sweat in a five game scenario. Maybe they steal a couple to start. And then you and then a great team, you know, it, it can work both ways. I, I, I could see anytime you can up the urgency and immediacy of like, you know, oh, we got it because there is something about a seven game series where a good team can just be like, all right, you know, there's that, that kind of old guy thing. Like, let me get let me limber up and let me <laughs> let dad show you how it's done kind of thing. Right. And I mean, I mean, you're seeing that a little bit with the Warriors and the Kings that there's a lot of runway. Imagine if this were a five game series. And the Kings had stolen the first two. Well, not that's a that's a that was a sorry, Kings fans. I didn't mean it that way. But I mean, imagine them. They they take the first two, and then they have that you know the potential to take that game three. That's really interesting. Imagine how hyped that game would have been. Whereas without we, Draymond for yeah. the series, I mean that that would have been epic. I mean you know that, and they had to win that game. It was a must win. I mean, granted, it became a quote unquote must win, but in that sense, it would be a literal must win. That would have been unbelievable. Yeah, That's- I'm thinking back about, um, man, it must have been, I'm trying to think, I feel like it was the Jazz and the Kings. Yes, it was a five-game series. Uh, the Kings the Kings had like a, a scrappy young team. They had Jason, they had, they had White Chocolate, they had Big Nasty, Poilus, they actually had Vernon Maxwell, often forgotten mm. <laughs> hero within the NBA. Mad but Max. they had, you know. And then they had Chris Weber. They had a team that was like an upstart team and they were playing an established playoff team in the Utah Jazz who had like the class. It was the classic Malone, Stockton, Hornacek, the whole gang. And the Kings made them sweat, man. And they, the game, it went to five. And I remember specifically watching that. This is a, such a random memory, but I remember Bob Costa saying it wasn't so much that the Jazz won, but they escaped. And I was just thinking, you know, you you create more scenarios like that. I know you appreciate that Bob Costas impression. I like that. I had it to was throw good. that in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you could potentially get. I think that's great, right? 
Yeah, and you save us all from this. It feels like it's dragging, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm in whiplash, and J.K. Simmons is like, it's dragging as he looks at the NBA playoffs, right? Let's Smack pick him up the, in the face. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's, let's pick up the pace here, and let's go ahead and get this first run over with. And I think that's my big picture takeaway of the playoffs. Since we're talking about the playoffs, let's just go ahead and get into some of my takeaways. I have five takeaways that I just want to throw at you. We'll get your reaction. We'll talk through it because, look, it's the first round. A lot changes day to day, but these are more larger conversations about certain guys and you know you mentioned Chris Webber and I feel like we should start start here because it would have been the biggest story it would have been maybe tragic Johnson level if the Kings end up winning this game and Harrison Barnes ends up hitting that shot and I will say for all the people talking bad about Harrison Barnes first and foremost the man is a consummate pro he if you don't respect Harrison Barnes you don't respect the game get out of my get out of my face right now second Harrison Barnes is clutch his nickname is the Black Falcon. He did not expect that pass. Uh, that was what the kids call a grenade. Uh, De'Aaron Fox got trapped. He threw it to Harrison Barnes last second. He didn't expect the pass. So you I, think I get, so? I want to review the tape. I don't, I don't think know. he expected it. I, I think Monk wanted it. Monk wanted it, right? Yeah. Your, your Kentucky guys, I think Harrison was thinking they're going to stick together here. It's either yeah. Fox takes the shot. He probably thought Fox was going to take the shot. I, I really do think that. But, of course, the double help comes over. He kicks it out to Harrison Barnes. The right play by De'Aaron Fox. But Harrison Barnes doesn't make the shot. But back to the main story. Steph Curry calls a timeout with no timeouts. Immediately, we go back to the Woody Durham, you know, technical foul. That's what leads this show. Um, it was a one of the, and especially going up against the Kings, right? Which you mentioned, Chris Webber before, uh, one of the, you know, faces of the franchise in general. So all of it kind of wielded and connected together. Steve Kerr has sort of a meltdown as is happening. And if if Harrison Barnes, and this is the big if, if he hits that shot, we are having a totally different conversation about the Warriors, about this dynasty, about what the future looks like. And that just that is a very sliding doors moment. And I wanted to talk to you about that because, I mean, did it immediately go back to Chris Webber in your mind? Because I feel like that's oh, what yeah. it did for everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, I know they're working on the CBA right now. The, the, the NBA is working on their their collective bargaining agreement with the players union. And I think in this CBA, it should be contractually required that if someone calls a timeout at the end of a playoff game and they don't have a timeout and it results in a technical foul, they have to play the Woody Durham recording in yes. the arena and yes. over the and over the broadcast. They have to, hey, thanks, you've heard it, folks. I don't need to do it. I don't need to. Everybody knows it. I just think that that Rewind would be... Rewind Go listen again. You, you can hear it every yeah. single time. <laughs> I just think that that would be incredible drama, and I I don't I I don't see why you wouldn't do that. And and it was it was pointed out over and over again that, um, the broadcast was just really going out of their way out of their way to praise the difference between the way the two teams were reacting. Like it, it was a really incredible like switch that flipped, where they were like, well, you know, the Kings just kind of like Monk drove down into a crowd and kind of forced a shot, and uh, and the, the you know uh, Doris and I guess Mark Jones were kind of kind of letting him have it. Like, oh man, you don't need that. That's kind of <laughs> that's the difference between an experienced team. And then Golden State turns around and makes the two biggest bonehead plays back to back. Um, you know, Jordan Poole threw just a really reckless pass to the corner that you didn't need to make. I think he was trying to throw it to Clay, 
and Malik got up and, and snatched that and said, give me and, that. And then and, and Malik baited him into it and then and then had something to say after the fact about how dumb that was. You know, he was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And they, they I mean, like you said, these are two just absolute dumb mistakes. And Curry, you know, that was kind of the knock, you know, 2015 Curry. Right. That was, you know, the behind the back pass. Right. In 2016, people pointed to and said he doesn't value possessions. He makes some mistakes in sort of these moments. And it was one of those things where he's bringing the ball of the court. He gets double teamed. He kind of panics in that moment. And it kind of was like a revert to your old ways. And I saw, I've seen a lot of people talk about like this version of Curry is better than that version of Curry. I think the beauty of it all is like, it's still the chaos of Curry, the the exact same chaos. Yes, it's more refined, but it's still the same. Like you see certain things where you're like, oh yeah, that is, you know, one of his weaknesses right there. And when, when he called the timeout, like you said, I mean, everyone was so shocked by it that we're trying to reverse engineer it in the moment to be like, oh, no, who told him to take a timeout? You know what I mean? It was just the it was a crazy thing live to see, especially from him at 34, 35 years old. He knows, you know, what the situation is. It just was. It, it it was, I mean, it was at a colossal level. Like I said, it, the reason I say tra- Tragic Johnson is because this is an all-time great doing something like that. That's why it was so shocking for everybody, right? I mean, it was like jarring in the moment. And then he makes the defensive play to make it all, you know, non-existent um, and, and saves himself. But that would have been the lead headline. That's all we would have seen, right? Is Stephen Curry, this huge mistake. You know, very similar to like J.R. Smith, right? The LeBron when he's like, oh, yeah. you know, you know, like what what are you doing? Why are you pulling the ball out? Um, you know, the, the one of those moments, right, where we remember the picture, we remember the timeout, we remember Steve Kerr, and now I don't think anybody, especially if the Warriors go win in six, right? Nobody even talks about it anymore. It's it's, it's a crazy moment. It's in the it's in the pantheon. I know pantheon is the official. It's the ringer word we have to use. So I'm going to use it. But it's in the pantheon <laughs> of uh, it's it's in the pantheon of like you know, critical mistakes, all time critical, like, you know, what were you thinking mistakes in a big game, you know, the Bill Buckner thing. And then, um, obviously the, the Weber timeout Jr. it it would be, it's, it's not quite like championship, like sleepy Floyd, sleepy Floyd through the pass, right. To the wrong guys. Am I mistaking that? Um, to James Worthy, who they played each other at rival high schools in Gastonia, North Carolina. So, I mean, talk about, it was like two kids in their backyard and then he makes a mistake. It's probably because he knows them so well. Crazy. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Overall, it was it, it was tough. I, I'm I'm sure Chris Weber was probably I don't know where he was watching that game, um, but he was probably just thinking, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" Like, yeah, I'm sure he was, <laughs> you know, to, it just to, for for an issue. I don't know. I don't know where he is on that issue, but I'm sure that was a uh, that was a uh, come on, man. You know, just because you you knew what was coming, but overall, yeah, it, it, that's. Their games have been the most exciting thing about the playoffs so far. I mean, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get some doozies to close this out. But uh, yeah, I, I think we need to make a change. What do you think about the uh, Draymond Green PR move of putting himself on the bench and putting that out to the world that he's willing to sacrifice for you know the 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 betterment of the team? Um, and this is coming off you know obviously the stomp and uh, you know the yelling at the crowd in Sacramento. I thought this was pretty genius by Draymond. I'm not going to lie because you immediately come back. You honestly see in game three that, you know, you not being on the floor and being able to have someone that can help space the floor even more actually helps a little bit against this Kings defense. And you put two and two together. I don't know if Steve Kerr comes to Draymond or vice versa, but regardless, the PR of this moment where Draymond is now, this is why he's an elite superstar. This is why he is who he is. You know, those those stories are all coming out. And I just wanted to say, 
tip of the cap to Draymond because that's how you that's how you flip the narrative on yourself oh, yeah. from game to game right there. Obviously suspended for game three, but game four, he comes off the bench and everyone's like, see, this is a team player. This is the Draymond that we love. I thought that was fascinating too. I just, I, I mean, the, there is a selflessness, I guess, in the way he plays. Your Your instinct is to like, you know, cherry pick, you know, points on the timeline, troughs in in his in his reputation and his actions. When really, I mean, he lays it all out there. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Draymond as a player. The other stuff can be a little you stomach it, you know. That's the way <laughs> I would describe it. You stomach it. You just kind of you're like, okay. But I mean, he he did push it. I really loved that screenshot of Draymond screaming at the c- crowd and just behind him you see Moses Moody Looking at him with a look of fascination, um, he looked disturbed a little bit. You know the 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 photo I'm I'm talking about. He yeah, just, yeah, he just yeah. looks he looks a little rattled by what he's looking at. It almost feels like uh, I don't know. It's it, it's quite a scene. But I your your gut instinct is to say Draymond is disqualified from like formally doing anything like that. If he sat down and we didn't hear anything about it, I think that was probably the move. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, in general, Draymond is just, uh, he's a man that understands the moment. He knows how to flip a moment. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, going back to the takeaway at the top here, you know, with the, with the teed up moment for Steph Curry, I still think Chris Webber, Rob Polinka said timeout to Chris Webber. I just wanted to get back and, and give Chris Webber a fall guy. That's what we like to do on the show. There's bad guys, there's good guys, there's fall guys. Rob Polinka said timeout in 1993, and then Chris Webber called the timeout. Um, and I'm sure someone on that Warriors bench, maybe Moses Moody, maybe someone else said timeout. That's what you have to do for the superstars. You have to be willing to be the fall guy. Um, but Draymond Green in general, kudos to you. Moses Moody is that picture that you mentioned. He looked in awe. He looked, you know, like he, yeah, he, he's he's somewhat just almost slightly confused, right, uh, as to what is going on in his presence. And uh, he looked, the- he looked like my dog looking at me whenever like I get mad about something. I don't know, like it, just that sort of like inquisitive, like right. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is like outside of anything that I do. I don't understand this, but I'm. But I can't look away. You know, it's, that's uh, that's that's kind of the thing. All right. Another takeaway. This is a guy that I have fallen in love with. And it's because he really just feels like he speaks his truths. You know what I mean? I know that's a phrase that people use these days. But it feels like everything that Ant-Man says is coming purely from his heart. And uh, he did promise the people of Minnesota that they would come back. They would not get swept, not on his watch. And he saves the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves from being swept for the first time in franchise history. Uh, hang the banner. Shout out to the T-Wolves. Um, but he had a meeting with Cat. Your guy, I wanted to talk about this. Your guy, Cat, he went over, had a meeting with him, said it was a great conversation, knew he was going to bring energy, knew he was going to bring effort. Obviously, dealing with Jokic is a lot. But Ant-Man, looking like a franchise player, having you know the leadership, gives all the credit to the team after the game. I'm not saying the T-Wolves are going to make any noise. I think the Nuggets are going to be fine here. But, you know, my takeaway is that Anthony Edwards, franchise player. I love this guy. I mean, you know, we always talk about Giannis and how lovable he is. Jalen Brunson, right? Everyone loves Jalen Brunson. But I think Anthony Edwards is right up there as far as, like, if we're doing Q scores around the league and likability, affability, whatever you want to call it, the guy's got it. And uh, I love Ant-Man. How do you feel about Anthony Edwards? Or am I just drinking the Kool-Aid right now because he won one game? Well, he's the number one pick. I would hope that he is a candidate to be a franchise player, either right. either in the official tag of like con- contractually, or if he is somebody that can be the focal point of a team. I mean, I think that he has sort of um, validated himself. I, I think that there are some things going on, and Tyler and I talked about this a little bit on Saturday with 
with these guys who are converted wings, who are sort of transitioning into being primary on ball players, you know, and had had the ball in his hands a lot at lower levels. But the game was obviously flowing a little bit differently. And the thing about these really athletic wings, if you look back, like the Kobe's, I'm not directly saying he is this this player, but we'll see is a lot to prove. The Kobe's, the Dwayne Wade's, the, the players like that that come in and they suddenly have the ball in their hands a lot. Um, you know, when everything is available to, a, available to you, when you're that level of an athlete, everything's available to you. Like you can navigate anywhere on the floor, anytime you want. Um, I think the discernment in terms of like when to choose your spots, when to know you've done your job, like in terms, and what I mean by that is like Ant can get in the lane at will. We've seen him like, He's got every dribble separation move into the book. He can get in the lane, spin, high glass, floaters. He can do all that stuff. But sometimes he can get himself into like thick traffic and he won't like instinctively make the right read, like kick out every single time. You'll see him take tough twos a whole lot. And I think he's still figuring that stuff out because I think you'll still see like three, four, five, six times a game. He'll kind of like shoot maybe a contested three that he didn't have to take. He'll take on too many defenders at once. But I think he has like slow, he's making progress. And I, I think that like the maturity part of it that you mentioned, like him as a leader, that's the thing that I was skeptical about coming into the draft. And Kevin and I have talked about this a little bit on the draft show and things like that. It's like some guys, you just can't take them. You can't take them like everything they say deathly seriously. Ant is a guy that like, as soon as it pops in, boom, it came out. Like whether or not that reflected poorly on him or not, because remember that article that came out. So I said the guy just seems like he shoots from the hip, right? I mean, it, yeah. it's not really like he he it's not a play. We're so used to the PR and the branding, and you're supposed to say this, and you're coached up in the media training. You've been getting interview interviews since you were 13 years old, right? But like for whatever reason, when Ann gets asked something, it feels like the first time he's been asked that question, right? And he gives like a thoughtful or you know, or sometimes not so thoughtful answer, right? But it just feels like it's uniquely exactly what he feels in that moment, which is you know why I think he comes across and why people like him because it feels like he's blunt right at some level he kind of tells you like it is Jimmy Butler has a little bit of that quality too oh, where yeah. he kind of just says what he feels and you know you take it or leave it but that's at least you know where he stands right I feel like Anthony Edwards is kind of similar in that sense yeah yeah Ant almost has like a childlike quality to him to where it's yeah, like he's he more fun this, yeah <laughs> he has this like charming kind of um sincerity that like he genuinely is competitive and you can tell like i mean he he made a block the other day like in transition with his left hand where i mean i swear his head was above the rim like almost at the square um he has every tool available to him and i was thinking about you know i've seen him start to slowly like i wanted to see him become more of like an off-ball active player I like I always get said like, you know, Dwayne Wade is is like sort of a size comp for him. You know, Ant shoots it better. Wade passed the ball a little bit better. But what we're seeing Ant do now in the NBA are things that Dwayne Wade worked on developmentally when he was in college. You know, uh, Wade's first year in the NBA, he was 22 years old and on like a Miami team that had some veterans, had Lamar Odom, had Brian Grant, had Eddie Jones. And it was a playoff team and didn't really have that. Ant kind of came into a shit show. And they've slowly developed. So they're kind of weirdly on similar timelines. I have a lot of hope for him, man. I, I, I think that like Mike Malone acknowledged it the other day when they, he was saying he's their best player. He just kind of like th <laughs> just disc at indirectly there. And, and Gobert at some level, right? I mean, just based on the money that they're paying Gobert, right? I mean, he's, and what they, you know, traded for him, right? I mean, the, both those guys 
and it, going against Jokic, who you would think you get those two guys to stop Jokic, right? That that's what's so fascinating to me with Anthony Edwards. I do the uh, I call it the 2006 Shaq test. If we put 2006 Shaq with Ant Man right now, I think they could win the title. I really do. I think it's I think it's that level of you mentioned Dwayne Wade. That's that's the comp. Obviously, they had the same. Tom Crean was their college coach. I don't know how much that has to do with it, but just in general, I think if you put an elite level big like Shaq with Anthony Edwards, now you're cooking, which goes back to what I was talking about with Cat. You know, obviously he was a great player at Kentucky, could have and should have probably won a national championship there, would have been like an AD 2.0. What can he do to get to that that level? Because I know that the, the ability, the, the raw talent is there, but it just feels like we just can't get, we can't scratch the ceiling, right? I, I don't know what it, I don't know what the term is, but it just, it's there, but it's also not there. And, and I feel like if Anthony Edwards has the best version of Cat, now we're really talking with the Timberwolves. We're talking about a true contender. I, I don't know. Thank, screw you for bringing up the title thing. Number one, first of I know. all. And I, then, I mean, I, I was saying that trying to be flattering. You know what I mean? This they should have. Yeah. They should have one of the worst nights of my life. Um, I bet. Yeah, uh, I when they lost that ball was after the shot clock. Nigel Hayes when he put that in, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> I agree. Want to get that? I agree. Fucking Big bullshit. Ten propaganda. Um, they were trying to steal one. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Carl, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like it's between the ears with him, and I, you know, far be it for me to just like say that I know exactly what to what to do there. I I just know there are times when when he seems a little bit preoccupied with things that I think take him off his game. Like, you know, I. My, my different things get guys going. I don't know what gets Carl going in in his mind. Maybe maybe he gets motivated from from acting a certain way. Um, but Call of Duty, it seems right. It seems like he loves Call of Duty. I know Mike Conley plays it with him. Apparently, that helped their relationship together. Um, so maybe that's that's the way Ant Man could get to him. Right, play some Call of Duty, talk to him online, um, and whatever he talked to him about, obviously leading to Game Four worked, which. That, I think that was the glimmer of hope I got there. And, you know, that that's really, that would be the difference, right? And obviously that's what the Timberwolves envisioned with these two paired together. But you got two legit number one picks when you talk about their talent and who they can be. I think Anthony Edwards is climbing that mountain. I really do. And I liked what he said uh, about, you know, the, the getting swept thing. He was like, a great story doesn't include a sweep. You know, and he was basically, you know, referencing that, you know, being a guy like a Kevin Durant, a LeBron James, a Michael Jordan, he wants to be one of those guys. And that's what you talk about a measure of what a man's mind is. I mean, I like that his mindset is focused on being one of those greats. I think that was my big takeaway from the whole thing. It's like Anthony Edwards. I see the maturity happening. I can see the basketball has always been there, but it's getting to that next level of comprehension. And if he just gets a running mate that's also there and present, and plays to his potential, I think the sky's the limit. So that was one of my takeaways. Anthony Edwards, you have my attention. Um, next takeaway, and this was, I, I wanted to get your takeaway when you saw the headline, head coach for the 76ers, Doc Rivers, he told his team to, quote, stop playing with their meat. Um, and this was like, I'm a per I love idioms. You know, some people say idioms are for idiots. Call me an idiot. I love idioms. Same. They make me laugh. You Same. know what I mean? They, they, maybe that's just the Southern coming out of both of us that we love idioms. But when I saw Don't Play With Your Meat, and uh, I don't, it was the funniest headline. I love a sucker for the headlines, Kyle, man. Uh, that's why the aggregators get me. 
What did you What did you think when you saw this? And Doc Rivers has a little bit of a history, so this is uh, all of this was just comedy. You know what I mean? So my number three takeaway is Doc Rivers. Thanks so much for the comedy. That made me laugh. Yeah, there's that that there's that old guy old guy zone where guys can just sort of. Um, <laughs> The, the self-awareness maybe that's one of the things that kind of goes when you or it just softens or or your your like capacity to give a shit you know mm. like i know like uh i don't know why we one of my friends his dad would like mess up phrases all the time and we would just get a good laugh at it um about it uh sort of the sort of the ringo star like eight days a week thing like they just mess it up but this one this one it just he's not wrong i mean like what he what he said applies is it Tater, you just so juvenile that you just are enjoying like any kind of a like, like like a, a self pleasure sort of a reference here. You're you're giggling like the like the freshman in high school. You're just is that the, the capacity of it? Because because I mean, it's what he said is true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is it just it just was ridiculous, and uh, I don't know why I didn't clarify in the moment. Um, I'm in a fantasy basketball league with Kendall Marshall. Shout out Did to Kendall Marshall. Did he need Marshall. to clarify? <laughs> he needed to clarify. Kendall Marshall agreed that he needed to clarify. Callie Curry also said that he meant to say food, but you know what I mean? It's It felt like one of those moments where, in general, um, it, it was just comedy. You know, it made me laugh. I, I think, like, it was something that was obviously you knew what he meant, but it just was so ridiculous that, I don't know. It, it was What's, maybe you, maybe like you said, it was very juvenile of me. I, I shouldn't have laughed at it, but it was ridiculous. What does uh, what does Kyle think about this? I'm curious, Kyle. Do, uh, do you do you care to comment on this? I, I feel like you're a nice <laughs> third party for this one. I guess I didn't really understand the whole thing to begin with. I thought we were talking about a euphemism here, and we're talking about somebody was literally playing with some sort of meat product. No, he basically was saying that his team. So to give the context, are you guys just it, dancing around this too much, or even confusing me? Where it's just I'm thinking yeah. of my he, high school he, coach saying, you, "He's running right by you. You stand there with your dick in your hand." Is that what he's? Is that what he's trying to say? I mean, I mean, I mean. So in a, in a way, yes. In a way, yes. So he's you know, you're saying, the, you're dancing around this. You know what I mean? I was just saying, don't to play Brian with Curtis. Your food. I was just listening to Brian Curtis, <laughs> who's just saying like, "Oh, we need to like everyone's dancing around trying to find a way to say a guy got hit in the balls." And oh, here yeah. you are dancing around this whole play with your me comment where you got me all turned upside down. I don't know what's going on. So I did. I did get it right. It was just an old guy coach thing that, he, you know, maybe just you weren't expecting to hear this year. Yeah, he was just telling his team to go ahead and win the game. Right. Don't play with your food. Don't mess around and screw around and end up <laughs> okay. losing this game. You know what I mean? Okay. But he said instead of don't play with your food, he said, don't play with your meat, which I guess is on the plate. So it does check out. It's all fine. But it just. It just is hilarious, right? Because you're in a you're in a huddle, right? And your coach says that the the, the dumb part of you is like, this is hilarious. And apparently, uh, one of the reporters, when he said it in the press conference, she you know had a little chuckle, and that's when he realized he may have you know misspoke a little bit. But again, did not clarify. Just just let it be. <laughs> and that goes back to the old man part of it. You're right because you're like, who cares, right? It, it's not like it's going to be made into a Twitter graphic and, and aggregated all over the place. That's not going to happen. Of, no, of course not. No way. My uh, my high school coach would say things like that a lot. Like he had this really high, real fiery dude. Like he was built. He was sort of like Taz from the WWE. He was like a mm -hmm. like sort of a smaller, stout guy, but he had a really high voice. And he, whenever he would misspeak like that or say something that was sort of like maybe he didn't deliver it or say it right or 
I don't know. It, he would say things like, I remember we were in a huddle one time and he was like, uh, y'all are down by the baseline. Oh, cluster fucked. Like said that like really high pitched. And we all just, it was like even in the middle of like a close game and we just all started like snickering and stuff right. like that. that I don't that's know. what I mean. That, it's, it's like, you know, obviously when you're in a game, there's a, a certain level of performance and you kind of have like a, you know, for lack of a better term, a game face on. But when your coach has like a Freudian slip like that, you're just like, what did he say to us? <laughs> did he just tell us not to play with our feet? <laughs> I love it. I'm glad it happened. Yeah, We're here talking about it, so clearly it was hey, a productive thing to happen, man. Hey, I, hey, I, thanks, hey, Doc. Hey, I'm I'm about it. Thanks, Doc. It was good comedy. Uh, please go get a podcast <laughs> with the Ringer. We want you to have one. I think you'd be great at it. We need the whole Rivers family. Um, but in general, it made me laugh. I'm sure it made the team laugh in the moment. And guess what, guys? They went and won the game, and they swept the series, so that's why we can laugh about it. Um, it would be different if they if they actually did screw around um, and, and play with their meat and didn't win the game. So um, th- that's that's the uh, the bright side, the silver lining of the story. Shout out to Doc. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, There was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Uh, my number two storyline, and it's more of a question to you, and I, I think it's being figured out in real time, which is why it's so fascinating. Who is the number one option on the Phoenix Suns? Um, because if you look at the box score um, and the shots, right, I look at FGAs. That's the most important stat to me. It's a meritocracy. Whoever takes the most shots, generally speaking, is the number one guy. Devin Booker's taking the most shots on this team. Kevin Durant is finding, you know, where he fits in, you know, number two, whatever it is. Chris Paul obviously hit some circus shots to help close this game. Felt like a very like, uh, you know, Chris Paul gets over the Clippers part of the, of the series. You know, it feel like he got over the hump, whatever you want to call it. But in general, Kyle, man, as you watch the Suns team, is it as simple as that? Because in my brain, I'm like, it feels like Booker is trying to send a message. He's still the number one guy. And Kevin Durant is looking around like, well, I'm Kevin Durant. <laughs> in case you forgot. I think this is more of um, there is the meritocracy thing, like you said, and there's also sort of the the leadership machismo thing of like, you know, this is my team, things like that. Maybe Booker is on that level trying to assert himself. But I also think just in the in the basketball standpoint that 
Booker's movement as a shooter, the fact that he can come off of like all kinds of screen actions, he can come off pin downs, he can, you know, whatever, staggered screens, Iverson cuts, whatever. He can, he's the kind of guy that draws the most, you know, movement gravity within that offense. So I think that him being sort of the primary option on that team makes sense, mainly because, you know, in basketball, you have you have your things you run, you have your wrinkles, and then you have your sort of pressure release valves. And sometimes that's a counter, like, you know, they do this, we do this. But I think Kevin Durant is the ultimate pressure release valve in the way that he's so efficient at the shots that he takes that other people are not efficient at. And like you get him in the mid-range, he's going to shoot in the mid-50s, 50%. He doesn't maybe even necessarily need to take as many shots as Booker. So I think for the flow of their offense, it's probably less, you know, I mean, if you... Hell, you know, if it was like you made somebody answer, like who is the actual leader of that team? Is it Chris Paul? Is it Devin Booker in the locker room? I don't know. What do you? Who do you think is the actual like vocal leader of the team? It, it has to be Chris Paul, right? I mean, I mean, it is Chris Paul, but as you know, as the impact goes, so does the the impact on you know the power of your own word, right? I mean, so it kind of wanes a little bit, and I think Chris Paul, as he's you know, I mean, he's playing a lot of minutes, right? That my biggest concern with the Suns and the whole idea that the Suns are just going to you know plod their way to a title is I worry about the amount of, of minutes that they're putting on on these guys, these main three guys, and Chris Paul in, in in specifically, because I've seen Chris Paul be amazing, right? I mean, I remember 2015, Chris Paul hits a shot in a game seven against the defending champs to go into the second round, and it felt like he had just, you know, won the Western Conference Finals. And of course, the injury bug hits, and, you know, I think it was a hamstring at that point. So in general, I worry about that. And he doesn't necessarily have to be out there to make an impact as far as leading, but he has to make some sort of impact as far as scoring. And I know that he has been pressed a little bit in this series. They're making him, if he does bring the ball up, they make him bring it up 94 feet, which is sort of, you know, kind of the, the word around town when it comes to Chris Paul. I saw Draymond on Christmas Day pick him up full court. I think that's when you knew that, you know, everyone's talking about this. This is how you get in Chris Paul's head and throw him out of his game a little bit, right? That That's the way to do it. So his impact has been affected. But in general, I think that Booker has to be the leader. It, it, it feels similar to me, like with the Lakers, where LeBron is, but as his impact, you know, wanes as far as being able to dictate the outcome of the game. LeBron can get his 35, 38 and 8, whatever it is, but will it impact the bottom line? I don't think he and Chris Paul are at that level yet. They can still get their numbers. But Devin Booker and Anthony Davis can affect the bottom line. That's how good they are. Kevin Durant obviously can too. But I think Booker and AD really have to be those leaders. And maybe they haven't been before and they're okay being in the secondary spot. I think Booker is accepting of that role and wants to step into that role. I think Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. And we we, we have to see what he does on the given day. He can. He obviously has the ability. Um, but, but that's what's fascinating to me. And Chris Paul is definitely the leader. Booker has to grow into that role. Maybe it happens this playoffs. And then I want to see where Durant fits in. And I think, obviously, that is what Durant has put out to the world, right? He he can fit in anywhere. That's the beauty of Kevin Durant. He can play with anybody. He's just that much of a basketball savant, which he is, you know? And, and, and that will be fascinating to see, though, because he had one moment where I was like, oh, Kevin Durant's doing a little bit of leading because Bismack Biombo had an outlet pass, threw it away. He was trying to find Josh Kogi. I think it was game three. And Durant mm-hmm. just snapped on Biombo, you know, and I, I saw it in that moment. I was like, oh, yeah, Kevin Durant is engaged. Right. So um, I, I'll be fascinated to see kind of how the, those personalities mesh when things get tough. Right. 
everyone's having fun. We're winning. But when things get tough, and granted, it got tough early against Kawhi, but now he's no longer there. The boogeyman is gone. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm I'm fascinated by that whole series, that whole back and forth. And I also am fascinated quickly. I just want to shout out Russell Westbrook because oh, yeah. this, man, this man was being called Russell Westbrook to his face, and now he's being called Hustle Westbrook. He changed the whole narrative. Um, this is what happens in the playoffs one way or the other. Um, it's a lot of like, let's decide the legacy or the legitimacy of some player, but I'm happy for Westbrook. And, you know, it seems like the Suns are going to get it solved, but Westbrook's fun. And uh, are are you excited for Russell Westbrook? Did you fill out your apology form? I saw people tweeting out this apology form for Russell Westbrook. That's a bit too far for me, but I'm happy for him. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys that I don't know. I have a soft spot for, even though he's so he doesn't want to be loved. I want to love him. Yeah, I'm not going to say I had a soft spot for him. That would be hypocritical <laughs> of me to just about face and do because I've complained about him for years. I mean, right. years, Tate. I I had friends. I mean, I had one f- friend in particular who like defended. I, I was always, I'm old school criticizing Russ. I mean, I, I've been kind of on this train for quite some time. But, but, um, you know, you look, it's been four games. I don't want to overreact. The thing that the thing that kind of concerns me is he had a lot of personal motivation in this series. And, you know, I know we're happy about the way this has gone down um, and, and we're happy to see him playing this way. I want to see what happens next, um, because I feel like the narrative flip that you're describing here could lead to a new opportunity, some renewed optimism in what he could do in another situation, say next year. Um, I want to see what that's going to be because I would, I would tread extremely lightly if I was the next team coming around because I, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you don't have it anymore, you're teetering on not having it anymore. You have this conversation with yourself about like, maybe I should switch. I have this conversation. I, I hoop all the time. I used to be a lot more aggressive on ball. I take, you know, shots that were questionable, but I believed that they were good shots because I thought I was good. These days, I'm kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm a catch and shoot guy. And but then I'll start hitting shots and I'll start having that conversation with myself like, maybe I still got it, you know, and that's a dangerous thing for a basketball player as they're aging. And I just kind of wonder if Russ is in his head is thinking like, I do still got it. And like, Mm. if I get an opportunity, I'm going to he's right there in that zone. You know, he's not so old that it's like impossible for him to think that. I just think this next team, wherever he goes, I hope he continues to embrace these sort of little details about that that have that were available to him in the past. We all knew that he could like set screens and rebound and and play hard defense and things like that. I hope he continues to do it, but I I'm really waiting to see. I, I would I would tread lightly. Yeah, his his free agency will be fascinating. I also think it would be really cool if he took maybe like a two year deal for you know fifteen mil a year, two year for thirty, like took a pay cut to stay in the situation with the Clippers. But we know that's not how the business works, and he obviously views himself as a max guy, so he's probably going to go try to find a max situation. And that goes back to like you said, when you when you think you still got it, you go for it, and and you deal with you know the the complications that come along. We we saw it with Carmelo, right? I mean, Carmelo he he went down swinging. Went down shooting, whatever you want to say. He he was convinced he could still, yeah. yeah he, he was convinced he could still drop thirty if you gave him that many shots. And sometimes he was right. You know what I mean. So it, it all comes back to that. Um, I wanted to ask you this question. This is another takeaway. Was Mister K, aka Coach K, right about Dylan Brooks? Um, because Dylan Brooks is saying that the media is painting him as a villain. Um, he's saying the fans are painting him as a villain. Um, he is he's saying what has he done? to be painted as a villain uh, other than hit people in the nuts and, uh, you know, just basically act like a villain out of an 80s movie. Um, 
I, I don't know what to say to this, but I do know that the first person that said something to Dylan Brooks was Mr. K, Coach K. He said he didn't say it, um, but but it did come out. There was videotape that showed him saying that you're a better player than that. You shouldn't do that. He took like a 30-foot shot and made it late in the game against Duke to go to the Elite Eight. Dana, Dana Altman came out after the game and said he told him to take the shot. You know, be that take that for what you may. Um, I guess that means he wanted to run up the score against Duke, which shout out to Dana Altman. That's great. But that whole situation, Coach K was the first one to see Dylan Brooks and say, this guy is a bad sport. Um, should we give Coach K his flowers, Kyle, man? Is that what we should do right now? Because he might have been right. He might have been the first one on it. You were the Rembrandt of finding ways to like put Coach K in sort of morally uh, ambiguous situations. I just wanted to <laughs> shout you out for that. You're the master. Um, uh, was Coach K right in that situation? Time, time is a powerful thing. Uh, mm. Take you know. At that time, I remember just thinking, "Shut up, K. God, just shut right. up." You know, right. I don't know. It was just like you were. You're doing this thing where you you're trying to you're packaging you're Trojan horsing this thing like it, it just felt like he was packaging this this criticism in a way that like was for his own good which also which just automatically implies like this moral high ground or something I don't know it's just it's it's sort of the equivalent of like parenting somebody else's kid like you know let Dane Altman worry about that you lost okay why are you worried yeah. about that i don't know you know if you if you w- didn't want to be in that situation maybe you should have coached your team to stop them a little bit earlier you know i have a lot of respect for Kay's coach i'm 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 being a little hyperbolic and just animated and riled up here when when i talk about this but um <laughs> i don't know the Dylan Brooks like did did we depict him did uh, what if I'm just curious at his his sort of like acquittal in his own mind of the things that he did. We're like, do you do you not remember? Do you not remember standing in the locker room with those those crazy glasses on and saying what you said? Do you think he has amnesia? Like, what's going on there? I, I you know, I think a lot of times in sports we say we want guys to have a short memory. I just think that Dylan Brooks has taken that too literally. You know, he literally has a short memory and has forgotten a lot of what he done. I mean, what about Gary Payton, right? I mean, the, he hurt his elbow last say, year. Right? There's yeah. there's been a lot of moments that aren't just. I mean, one thing, right, the WWE part when you're just talking, but it's like, no, you've had some actual moments where it's like, raise your eyebrows. That's not great. Um, and in reality, I mean, a lot of times you hate people that are similar to you, right? So Mr. K just saw something, you know, in Dylan Brooks that reminded him of himself a little bit, right? So that's really what it came down to. And uh, I think Dylan Brooks is not a villain. I think uh, I, I'm not sure he should have been thrown out of the game. He said that he was profiled um, and thrown out of the game. But I don't know about nut shots. I, I, I think we got to get over this. I mean, Chris Paul. We talked about him earlier. That's the most famous nut shot in my life. Julius Hodge, shout out to Julius Hodge, went down, sold it, but he did get hit in the balls. And Chris Paul, I'm not sure what Julius Hodge said. I'm sure he said a lot of bad things. So, you know, Chris Paul in that moment, it almost felt like, Chris Paul, you're not wrong, but you can't do that. Um, This was another one in the history. I feel like it's going to be shown a lot. You know, I feel like this is going to be, when we look at Dylan Brooks's highlights of his career, I feel like this might be the first highlight. I mean, it's going to be up there. Um, and, and it happened with LeBron James. So I don't know what to take away from this, but I will say, Mr. K, you were right. That, that's my big takeaway. He was right. It's big all of this. you. Yeah. It's big of you to say, to do that. I, I, I think this say. was a cathartic moment just now. Right. Sometimes you got to be on the same page. Um, final takeaway from the playoffs before we move on and do some bag talk, because I want to talk to you about Billy Preston. Maybe Kyle will play the music for us. We'll do a little mystery here. Um, Jalen Brunson and all the Villanova Wildcats from 2018, there was a question, who was the best player on that team? I think Jalen Brunson has it. I think he has it locked up. We're five years away from it. 
He looks like a franchise player for the Knicks. If you're a star that is a number two, number three guy, why would you not want to go play with the Knicks right now? Why would you not want to go up there and have Tibbs, a coaching wizard, figuring out matchups for you to exploit, playing next to Jalen Brunson? I feel like I'm working for the Knicks right now, but I, I love what their setup is. I wish, you know, that that they had a, another star, you know. I mean, I, I hope Julius Randle figures it out, but Jalen Brunson... He's that guy. And, and I feel like I wanted to talk to you about a larger, you know, conversation where I feel like the NBA draft is about potential and it's about prospects. And when does it come back to production and players? And that's the scale, right? And I feel like we're too far one way. And I think Jalen Brunson is the poster boy to get us back to players and production. Or am I crazy, Kyle, man? Because I'm falling in love with the guy. There's a lot to fall in love with. I, You know, the question about like him being the best player on that team I, I've I've had like some funny back and forth over the years with like some some of my friends that root for the Mavs who would just get really frustrated with Brunson, and I, I do think that there's a benefit of having distance between a situation. I described a, a similar thing with the Warriors, where the Warriors fans that I would talk to throughout the year they were just too close. Their faces were too close to the canvas. They were just like, "Nah, this is bad. It's ruined. The the <laughs> the soup is spoiled." And I'd be standing back with my arms crossed and be like, I don't think so. I, I think you're I think you're in better shape. You're you're not seeing it clearly. Uh, but I, I mean, Brunson was a guy over the years that had a lot to offer. I my thing is just I didn't see this, and I, I repeatedly I this who, is this who, is one of my Right. Who saw this? No one could see this, except for he's done it at every level, which goes back to what I was talking about, production. And, and a lot of times we throw production away, but maybe if we give production the keys every once in a while and we give him a good coach like Thibodeau, who's not going to put him in precarious positions where he gets exploited, the rest is history. I feel like I feel like it's happening right in front of our very eyes and it's happening in MSG. So the, the New York media is going to propagate it. Right. So this, if there's ever a time to push like being a winning player and that whole propaganda, now is the time. And I feel like Jalen Brunson is that guy. He is a winning player that we have seen at every level. Like you said, yeah, you know, almost 19 points. That, that Villanova team was one of the funnest like college basketball teams to watch Dominant. of yeah. my lifetime. They were just right. so fun to watch so much connectivity and chemistry and they ran awesome stuff. And, I think the Knicks, though, flash forwarding here, like the big thing that is, is this was a match and you talk about like teams needing leadership and things falling in line down the line with the team kind of the way the way Phoenix does um, and who's the leader and things like that. I think that he has sort of the, the he's been like a floor raising player while also being a guy who can give you a lot of self-created offense and the fact that like it's been talked about a lot. He's he's been one of the foremost like touches players in the league. And over the past few years, if you look at he sort of calibrated what New York already had. Now they added some pieces, you know, adding Josh Hart, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein, who's a guy I've loved for a while. I, I, I'm glad to see him like find a home finally. But in the past few years, the the usage leaders for the Knicks have been Randall and Alec Burks, Randall and RJ Barrett. Randall and Alfred Payton. That's just that was the previous three seasons. And this year, Brunson comes in, and I think he's kind of say he saves people from himself themselves in a way that like a lot of floor raising players do. Like I think that he's there was so much pressure on Julius Randall, who was probably underqualified to be a full time heavy load primary player. Um, and I, I think Brunson has been great for him 
in a way and like to be an initiator, right? Like that, that was the problem with Rando. I always felt like they, they put him in positions where he had to be a point forward, like he was LeBron James or something, right? I mean, that, that was the problem. He had to initiate offense for others and create his own offense. Yeah. And he just didn't, he didn't have like the, the level of rim pressure that, that James had. And like, it, it was so much contingent on him shooting and, and shooting the ball well. And as we know, Randall's shooting is like, a roller coaster, man. It's like it's way up sometimes. It's way down. You get super mad at him sometimes. But when when Rand, when Brunson is in there, and it can't be discounted, it can't be discounted the fact that like Tibbs has gotten his style of guys in there. If you think about them drafting Miles McBride from West Virginia, if you think about them trading for Josh Hart, who is a t- is a guy that I think so the market for Josh Hart should have been so fertile at the deadline. Like He's he's a dude who does everything. He shoots, he dribbles, he passes, he rebounds. He's physical as shit. Like he guards the ball. He's mean. Um, he's been a perfect fit for them. But I I think overall Brunson has just sort of brought gravitational sort of balance to their little galaxy in a way. And my thing is now, if you're a Knicks fan, what is unrealistic in terms of like you looking at the playoff landscape here? What really where at what point are they out of control? Because like I see them bing bonging in the streets and being excited, and I'm like. Normally, you're like, oh, they're excited. All those adorable Knicks fans, they're not going to. But this time around, man, I mean, like, what is ridiculous for them in the East right now? Like, this team is really well put together. They have shot makers. Who can't they beat, Tate? That's my question for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams that I see them really struggling with. But at the end of the day, I mean, maybe Philadelphia, but obviously Boston and Philly are going to play each other. I, I uh, in general, I, I just think this team should be excited. You mentioned the bing bong. I mean, when they won one game against the Hawks, when Derrick Rose had 27 points and had like a, like it felt like he captured like a, a younger version of himself. And it was like almost like angels in the outfield, right? They won one game. People lost Mel Clark. Their was it like oh, Tony Danza? Mel Clark had the right. angel on his shoulders, kind of right. thing. That, that's yeah. how it felt when it happened, right? And they won one game and they lost their minds. But I feel like if you're the Knicks, you're saying to yourself, "Why can't we make a run like the Hawks did, get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then we we come out of that situation and we say, what is the one? Who is the disgruntled superstar?'" that we can add to Jalen Brunson, right? Let, let's look around the market. Obviously, we're not going to add a Dame Lillard because the, those two things overlap with each other. That's why Dame would make sense maybe in Brooklyn, right? He goes to the game, but then he says, oh, no, uh, I just happened to get tickets, even though that's the first game he's ever been to as a fan in his whole NBA career. But, you know, let's not read too much into it. But in general, like, you find that disgruntled star after you make a playoff run in B. Yan, I mean, who knows? I mean, there, there's a lot of people that can be enticed to come to New York when there's infrastructure there. The problem with New York always with stars is like you don't want to go there to build the infrastructure by yourself, right? Because then you're in a Mari Stoudemire situation. Yes, that was fun until he got hurt and then they made the trade for Carmelo, but you don't want to have to build the infrastructure. But if Jalen Brunson and Tibbs and the whole Rock Nation, whatever they are now, group is, is behind the scenes and they have it all figured out, you can plug and play. You can just be another star, and then maybe another star comes. And now you, all of a sudden you got three stars in New York, and you know we're really talking, right? I mean, that that's the best-case scenario for the Knicks. It's like, let's have a great playoff run, second round, but we lose in six games, and it's valiant effort, whatever it is. And then we entice one of these disgruntled stars to say, I don't know, I, I like what's going on in New York, and I'd love to play with Brunson, right? Because you, you see all these players tweeting and talking to each other. Guess who they're talking about? Jalen Brunson. He has that effect because it's like this guy's putting me in position. Like you said, the ceiling is raised. I'm in positions to succeed, and he's helping me be in those positions, and so is Tibbs. 
Yeah, he's got that. He's got that real Hooper brand appeal. You know, those types of guys that like those accounts. We all know the, what the accounts are on Twitter. They're <laughs> always talking about real Hoopers and things like that. Um, he does KD? have that appeal. But if you, if you, <laughs> we know what it is. Uh, but if you if you look like, um, and, I, and I'm not disparaging that at all. I'm just saying he has that. He has that credibility when you right. listen to other players talk, which is like it's a separate thing. Like it's, it's like a Kyrie record. thing, right? Well, yeah, that, that's why when like the the casual fan or the the average you know NBA fan is like, I don't like Kyrie for this, this and that. And then people are like, you don't know real hoopers if you know, real, you know, <laughs> you'd see Kyrie always finishes with his left hand on the left. You know what I mean? Things like that, right? People all, go nuts over that. It's yeah. all shot creator driven kind of stuff. But if you look at like. Um, it, it's a, it's it's a post Jordan. Uh, I'd love to talk to your guy BJ about that someday. But uh, oh yeah, He'd if you look at like it. the last three times the Knicks and the Celtics have played this year, the Celtics got them back on November fifth, one thirty three, one eighteen. But the Knicks have won the other three, and and I mean uh, you know one thirty one, one twenty nine, you know one hundred nine, ninety four, and then one twenty, one seventeen. So they've been high scoring and low scoring. They they've proven that they can kind of play a variety of. They can run with Boston. They've kind of had their number this year. So, I mean, I at least think it'd be an interesting series. Um, and especially if you think about those other superstars, if they're not going to be there. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't begrudge uh, the Knicks fans from dreaming. They deserve to dream. Tell you, that's that's what I would say. And I would say, like, the dream is a lot closer than it ever has been because as you and I talk about, I mean, the, the Knicks were kind of like the boy who cried wolf for a little bit, of, you know, a time where they always were like, well, Porzingis or whoever it was, right? The flavor of the day was going to come save us. And now it's like, no, I believe, you know, I, I, I see something there. I think there's a nice core. I love the addition of Josh Hart, like you said. So shout out to the Knicks. Um, let's do some college basketball stuff. This is a little off-the-court drama, but it's always fun. Um, and it's a mystery. It's called the Billy Preston Mystery. Kyle, can we play the music? All right, so there you have it. Uh, Billy Preston, this is a mystery that started back in 2017. This is a guy who, you know, you know, McDonald's All-American, uh, Jordan Brand Classic guy. I mean, you know, all up in the scene, ends up going to Kansas, ends up getting pulled over in a car, becomes an investigation, never plays a game, only scrimmages while he's at Kansas. He ends up going pro. Uh, you know, the pro route leads him to the G League. He ends up, you know, bouncing around the G League, ends up getting traded for Cody Miller McIntyre right in the G League. That's how, you know, it, the sliding doors moment of his career. But this is the time before NIL. This is when we're talking about the FBI and we're doing the whole, you know, we know your game plan, yada, yada, yada. Adidas is frauding all these schools. We remember, right? We're, we're painting the picture, the Billy Preston mystery, right? Well, now he's come out and just like everybody else in the world, he's on a podcast called The Bag Game, which I want my residuals. I, I, I want to be paid for this um, because The Bag has always been around, but it has never been on Front Street until the FBI came around. And now they're making podcasts about it. And you, Kyle, man, I mean, I, I read the report. I read what, what they said in this podcast, and this is Billy Preston's side of the story. But you listened to this, and I wanted to get your takeaways because the Billy Preston mystery, we got an update. What is Billy Preston saying? And more importantly, what is his mom saying about what actually happened back in 2017 with the Jayhawks? Oh, man, this is precarious because it's like you want to come into it. And, you know, obviously we like to joke around. There were there are a lot of things that uh, there are a lot of things that you in order to take something away. You need to kind of make personal judgments or kind of personal value judgments on people, which is not an easy thing to do with a limited amount of information. And I think, too, whenever, you know, Myra Medcalf was on this 
podcast. I listened to most of it. I think I got like 85% of the way through it. But the gist of what he claims in there is that, or my, I was going to say, Myron Metcalf made, made a good point that like, you know, your, your reaction a lot of times is to sort of like vilify, demonize these players who do just there's a there's a funny just vibe around it you know when it whenever players take money we're just like oh man and i was joking with you that like even on this particular podcast there's a moment where they start taking they start talking about him and his family taking money and like this weird like blade runnery dramatic synth comes on right. under it and you're like oh man he took money and they but you have to kind of snap out of it and just be like who gives a shit um it, it's it just sounds like he's talking about through throughout this process that like bill self was was present whenever, whenever Gatto, <laughs> whenever the, you're already laughing that he was present on the visit, whenever this like discussion started to happen. Uh, and just that like the Kansas assistants, which the funny part of this is, I mean, he's just directly contradicting Kansas, their, their like alibi, which was ignorance. Um, and <laughs> there are like court documents, I think that kind of like, you know, officially exonerated them from any from any kind of wrongdoing yes they were uh, they were frauded by adidas they had no idea this was happening yeah that was their route officially so, yes yeah but uh, i mean yeah that that's kind of where that's where it lands so i mean you just are like billy billy claims and he and he just kind of was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing a thing that many players had done in the past you know tate he was i think the jordans that he was talking about he was trying to go get if i'm not mistaken it's the uh it's the win like 82 jordans like the the navy ones is that mm. the ones that, that i'm thinking of those those jordan 11s is it win like 82 and that what it's called yeah and then and then it was i think that was what the, the converse is right i mean because those are like the converse like the double pack right i think that that's what he was talking about which I mean, look, we get it, Billy Preston, and especially if you play in the Jordan brand classic and, you know, you 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 love the Jordans. I mean, we like you said, it's so it's so like the, they put in the dark and ominous tones. Right. You know what I mean? To to make you feel like, oh, my goodness, look at this nefarious behavior that was happening. This seedy underbelly of college basketball. Duh, duh, duh. And now we live in the post NIL world. Right. And it's like it's a celebrated thing. Right. We get news. Um, you know, Bronny James signs a deal with Nike and we're all like, yes, let's let's celebrate it. Congratulations. And that is what is the craziest part. It's like because it happened before this turn uh, of the page in college sports, it's like still treated like it was this horrible thing when it's the exact same thing that's happening now, but above board. And we all know about it and we all celebrate it. So that is the, the way you feel bad for Billy Preston, because like in case you missed it, folks, these brands want to get to the players to get to the players. They have these schools to get to them and they funnel the money through the, I mean, we know the game, right? We, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Adidas is going to go through Adidas schools to get Adidas athletes. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes, you know, a kid can go to a Jordan school and sign with Adidas because they have the freedom of choice. Once they hit the marketplace officially, now they're getting ahead of it and doing it officially. So we all know what the game is. And I think that's what's funny about this whole, you know, update, right? Because it's supposed to have the shock value, Kyle, man. But now it's it's so prevalent. It's like, oh, wow. So-and-so just signed a deal with Crest White Strips. Amazing. Let's let's cheer them on, right? I mean, yeah. they get <laughs> they're getting paid for what they should. And that's why I feel like it, it doesn't hit the same. But unfortunately, it's like this ruined Billy Preston's entire basketball life. You know, I mean, driving a car, having this incident, it being, you know, tracked down by the NCAA, him being held out. 
and and it's all it was all very classic NCAA, but it ruined his life at some level, and that's why he's telling his story on a podcast. And what's insane to me, it's like this guy's going to get persecuted on one end, but then we're celebrating on the other end. But it's the same thing, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like you know a guy that just started a dispensary and he and he made a buku amount of cash, but then there's another guy that went to prison for a dime bag not too long ago, right? Like you're you're on both sides of the coin doing the same thing, but it's different now. That's what I feel bad for when I look at Billy yeah. Preston. It's like you you were just in the wrong era, and and if you and if you were in this era. It would be no problem because you're driving a Mercedes Benz. Oh, well, I have an NIL deal with the Mercedes Benz right up the street and our collective helped set it up and da 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 da. And we're all good. We're all above board. We're all clean. We all move on. We're all happy. But now his mom and him are on a podcast trying to, you know, explain why they made the choices they made. We get why you make the choices you make. I mean, it's financial and, and rightfully so. I mean, this this is the game. A lot of people are making money. You deserve to have some sort of hand in the pot. You know what I mean? Especially if you're the player yourself. And it, it, that's the craziest part about all the conversation. And now um, we we still talk about it in like it's the light has, has has not changed, but it has. The light has totally changed when we talk about what guys were taking beforehand. And I, I hope that we get to a world where we talk about the recruitments and how they happened back in the 80s, back in the 90s, because you know this. I mean, Chris Webber will never talk about it. Like, a lot of these guys, they will never tell the true story of how it happened, or they tell, like, the the the, the version that has been approved by the school and all the players that are involved. Mm-hmm. Let's just tell the real version. We understand where money was coming from now that the FBI got involved and basically showed us, right, like what they said, the game plan. We see it. I would like to talk about it, but not put people in a bad light. Like, we... Billy Preston isn't a bad guy because he did this. He's a bad guy. You know, he's a BAG guy. And and that's the difference. That's what we want to point out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of the a few a a couple thoughts here. First of all, I mean, one of the one of the resounding things that when I hear these stories and I kind of just you you think to yourself, wow, like it, it just magnifies the negligence that adults have you know on the record with some of these situations where they've like failed the kids you know i i see that over and over again where i'm just like man you really just i'm not speaking specifically about preston's case but i mean there just are a lot of cases where it's like the parent gets too excited or whatever it is and it it goes badly anyway that's a thing but um and then because of the bag it all goes back to the bag it does. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the, the, it can, it can poison the mind, you know, but, <laughs> and a lot of the, a lot of the sort of, you know, fervor about it, I know was just driven by rival fan bases, like wanting the other one to go down based on the way the rules were. I remember when that Kansas story came out, I remember Kentucky getting ready to play them that day. And when the Preston news, there's a schadenfreude. It's, it's just been an interesting shift. Like, Nobody really wanted these guys to like not make money, but everybody wanted to be held in this to the same standard. Uh, you know, you hear about like people being obsessed about like the Myron Piggy, Corey Maggette stuff from back in like the, you know, the early 2000s with Duke. And everybody's just like obsessed with like them getting in trouble. It's just like, you know, they have to, they can't keep getting away with this. But now it's, this was bound to happen. It was, it's due to happen, you know, God forbid. And we even saw during COVID where it was just like these, you know, these players obviously were being trotted, trotted out there in these situations where it was like debatably safe for them even to be out there so that like we could make money on these TV deals and things like the, the players obviously have value. They dictate how well the teams do. So they're getting their value. God forbid. 
Uh, I'm all about it. Um, I think that it's it's a good thing. But I also think something else I think about when I whenever I see these, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Whenever I watch these grassroots situations from afar and I just think about like the the level of involvement that these brands have in it, it's like they're playing two games at the same time, I guess, which is like brand saturation. Like they want to keep the brands visible. They want to keep their stranglehold on the next generation. But at the same time, they're kind of panhandling for the next, what, KD, Kobe, LeBron, Ja, Paul George, whoever that might be. When you think about the dollars and balance it all out, is it like, when does it stop being worth it? <laughs> you know, that's what I keep thinking about. Like, because those guys are just so like my buddy who used to work for Nike brought up to me like a, a LeBron didn't even play in the Nike circuit because I guess it didn't exist at the time. It was Adidas, but it seems like a lot, a lot of effort to try to land a big fish, you know, like it makes you wonder why they even do it to begin with. Yeah. And and even if you do land the big fish like Zion, right, I think Zion is probably the, the last big fish that was out there that everybody was going after. Jordan gets him right. He goes to Jordan brand, which is a vanity brand brand of Nike. Makes sense that he would do that. He was an Adidas kid when he was on the circuit. And most people thought he would go to an Adidas school. He did not. He went to a Nike school. He went to if not the number one Nike school, the one B to your Kentucky, right? Those are the top two Nike schools that Nike is invested in at a high level. But does that translate to shoe sales? I mean, that that to me is always the question, right? They're, That's they're, what it's about. Yeah. Right. Like, are they going to get a guy who can move shoes? Like, you know. Right. And, and will they ever get Moby Dick again? I don't think so. And Michael Jordan might have been a one of one. And it might have been also a symptom of the time, right? It, it was the one. I'm not sure there is another one. And I know guys have sold shoes. I know that, you know, Iverson did. I know and one had a big bump there for a little while, right? I mean, there, there have been moments where shoes do, even the Yeezys, right? I mean, Kanye, when, when the Yeezys were first coming out, that was the the last time where it was like, okay, wow, you know, the shoes are moving and it wasn't a basketball player. It was a rapper, right? So like nobody knows where the momentum is going to come from. And it feels like we're trying to recapture the magic of this promise that there's going to be another Michael Jordan that's going to come in and have this brand and impact at the same level. And I'm not sure it really is. And and like you were saying, when when does it come to a point where, the corporate overlords say we're kind of chasing a carrot we'll never catch here, right? I mean, what what's the point of this? And I get that they're just playing the, well, we'll just, especially if you're Nike, right? We'll sign Job, we'll sign Tatum, we'll sign, you know, everybody. We'll sign Paul George, we'll sign Kevin Durant, we'll sign everybody. And then we'll just like the the the, the shoes that we sell, we kind of go niche markets, right? I mean, you kind of go with a bunch of niche markets and eventually you add it all up and maybe that equals, you know, what it would have been if you got that white whale. But it is fascinating because like, when is the return going to be there? And I think even with LeBron, I don't know if LeBron will ever be a guy that sells shoes like Michael Jordan, but he's able to sell different things, right? Media properties and, and things like that. So he's in a totally different space than Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan, when he did Space Jam, he was like, give me 10000 or $10 million, a check up front. I won't know royalties. I don't want to be attached to this. It's going to be a flop, right? That, that's not how LeBron works. LeBron's like, I'm working with Warner Brothers. I'm producing with Warner Brothers to make this movie, right? It's just they're, they're different business models. And I'm Good still... Comparison. Yeah, I, I want to find the the player that does the future, not the past, you know? And and I thought John Moran actually was the most recent one that I thought maybe he's the one that could do something that is in the future, you know what I mean, as opposed to the past, right? Everyone's trying to chase that ghost of Jordan. 
So I, th- I think it's fascinating. We could talk about brands all day long. Um, and it leads us into shout outs because we're, we're getting late here. So we'll shout out my first shout out. Shout out to EYBL. I, I told Kyle what that is at the top of the show. The Elite Youth Basketball League. Uh, that, that happened this weekend. College coaches are there. Top players are there. But the big the big talk of the town that everyone's talking about, Cooper Flag. Um, and you and I quickly shout out to Cooper flag because he drops 52 points and it, it, it was just hilarious to watch the fallout because most people think he's going to go to Duke. The guy's got a bag. He's got a package. He can do pretty much anything. He looked amazing in the clips that I saw. What do you, what do you know about Cooper flag and what do you think about Cooper flag? Oh boy. I'll try to keep it brief here. We can um, keep it brief. Yeah. We, we'll, we'll go into it in detail at some point, but just, you know, I feel like he was on the mainstream board this weekend. Six eight, six nine, power forward. I'll just say that the, the elevator pitch is he has some of the best like defensive instincts and feel and like uh, timing in a high school player that I've ever seen. I tweeted a couple things. Um, he's just phenomenal. Um, and the, I watched that game where he scored fifty two. Uh, the defensive stuff was just as impressive, in my opinion. He did. He made some. He just can anticipate plays. I've. I've. Uh, I've floated this to someone, a mutual friend of ours, that I, I kind of feel like he has Kirilenko vibes. I don't think that's mm. a unique AK forty seven. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's gonna have that kind of like defense, like defensive like applicability. I think going forward, um, he's a special special talent, and he has some offensive upside too. Um, so place for Montverde, Kyle, you would like EYBL just for the spectacle of it one time. I think you should get out there and see the scene. It's, it is, uh, it's a lot. I feel like you, the, the first couple hours you just are kind of wide eyed and wandering around. It's, it is, uh, it's a spectacle. I think Kyle's question is, do they have beer? Right, Kyle? <laughs> uh, I mean, I had a blast at Summer League. Uh, it just sucks. You can't have beer in the media section, so you don't really get the same sort of view that you would get with the beer. I would I would drop the beer for the views, but, you know, when you're a young kid, you think you can have it all. Um, yeah. So, uh, sure, I'll yeah. check it out. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to go to all of us. will go to EYBL. You know what I mean? We'll make a splash there. Um, a guy that was there, or I'm sure he was. I didn't even see if he was. But Calipari, Coach Cal, he's everywhere. He was at a Sixers playoff game. Um, he's flying to see Hunter Dickinson. I quickly shout out to Hunter Dickinson because, like I said, he's the Bigfoot of college basketball. It, it's the who wants Dickinson sweepstakes. Everyone is going after him. Your boy, Cal included. And he went on his podcast and said Coach Cal was different than everybody else. As soon as he came around, other coaches got scared. Well, was that encouraging to hear as a Kentucky person? You know what I mean? I feel like Kentucky, Big Blue Nation should be happy about that. Cal still has some uh, staying power on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean that's the old school. Cal comes in person, you know, seals the deal. Um, he's he's kind of the the closer. You like to see him more involved in that way. I don't know. I I personally would like to see Dick Dickinson. Dickinson kind of said it without saying it that Oscar's probably gone. That was a pretty funny clip where he's like, "I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to say literally every detail surrounding the, <laughs> yeah, right. the, me saying it directly." Um, I think Dickinson would be a great fit with the guards that they have coming in next year, and I think that they would be insane to not try to emulate kind of what Sacramento does with like the the DHO heavy thing and have a big guy who can screen and can pass it a little bit. Uh, I hope they do that. I've gotten some kind of murmurs about who they're going to hire for their X and O kind of spot, and I hope that that plays out the the, the way that I, uh, I hope it does. Um, but yeah, I think he'd be a great fit. I mean, he's on campus right now, so I don't know. I, it, I've heard a lot about like the chippy personality of of Dickinson, and I feel like Cal has done well with guys like that over the years. So um, you just you hear things about people. They're like, yeah, Dickinson kind of he has that dookie kind of a vibe where you're just yeah. like this guy. 
come on now. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. I, sometimes it's nice to have a, have a personality like that on your team. When he's on your team, it's way more fun than, than on the other, right? Right, and he can be an enforcer of sorts, kind of like a Bill Lambeer, but for college basketball. And I think deep down, he's kind of a sweet guy. You know, I mean, especially if you go back and see some of his high school stuff. I mean, he I think this this kind of persona has been almost put on him a little bit. It happens when you're a big guy. People expect you to be mean or whatever it is, right? They kind of impress this persona on you. So I feel like Hunter, you know, I'm, I'm probably psychoanalyzing a little bit too much for him, but I think he's a sweet kid. I think he's a nice guy. And, uh, and I think if he gets Calipari, um, you know, coaching him with that talent around him. I know one thing he can pass out of a double team, right? So, I mean, that <laughs> automatically makes him maybe an upgrade at that, at that position. So I, I like that for Hunter Dickinson. Speaking of, of guys that we're excited about shout out to Jerry Stackhouse, because there's rumblings and rumors that Jerry Stackhouse might be a candidate, obviously the Vanderbilt head coach right now, coach of the year, uh, for some people this year, he is up for the, you know, first he went and interviewed for the Pistons job. Shout out to the Pistons. But it sounds like they're looking at Kevin Ollie. We can talk about that at a later date. But oh. maybe the Raptors. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe the Raptors are going after Jerry Stackhouse. How do you feel about this? People forget he won a D-League championship as the head coach of the Raptors, then D-League team, now G-League team back in 2017. How do you like the fit for Stackhouse? I feel like this would be great. The 905. Yeah, yeah. I think. yeah, I think Stack. Stack proved that he has, uh, you know, he's he's a forward-thinking basketball mind. I think it's a culture fit. He has some rapport there. I think that he uh, he'd be a fresh voice for, you know, Toronto. Apparently, that's kind of part of the thing there is that they, sometimes you just get sick of listening to, to a particular person. You need a you need a fresh start. Um, he, I, I love the fit. I think I think it would work well. Stack Stack ran, uh, you know, an offensive system. His teams always played hard. Um, he ran an offensive system at, at, at Vanderbilt that was super fun to watch. They're hard as shit to guard. I know that. Watching, I mean, I didn't personally do it, but I watched and I could tell. Um, but I, I think that he he's not going to be blindsided by the NBA game because of his style. That organizational fit, there's a familiarity there. Seems like an awesome fit, doesn't it? And he's like a real competitive guy. He inspires his guys to be competitive. I like it. I like to fit all around. I love Stackhouse. I think he's a great basketball coach. And I know him and Nick Nurse are really close with each other, too. So I feel like it's uh, one of those things where I know Nick Nurse doesn't want to give the keys to the house away. But if he has to give the keys to somebody, I think him and Stack. And he was a big proponent. I remember talking to Stack about going back to the D-League and being a head coach and learning how to manage his own rotations and to run his own sets and things like that. So I think Nick Nurse was it was a big part of why Stack went and did that and got that experience and that led him going back to college and being a head coach. And, you know, he's done all the dirty work to get his way to get an opportunity. And I feel like Damon Stoudemire is kind of mirroring that, right, at college right now at Georgia Tech. He's going to go down. He's going to help turn that program around. And then hopefully on the other side, he'll get, you know, rewarded with an opportunity at the NBA level. So, I think there, if there's a quote-unquote right way to do it, right, if you and I are Larry Brown and he's telling us what the right way is, Stackhouse and Stoudemire, those guys are doing it the quote-unquote right way. So I hope he gets the opportunity. Um, I'm excited about that for Stack. Anything else, Kyle, man? Uh, any more shout-outs before we get out of here? I feel like uh, I feel like we've done it. I feel like we've talked about everything. This was an all-encompassing, all levels. <laughs> we we covered a lot here, Tate. We did, we did it. We did it all. We did grassroots, college, NBA. I mean, we didn't get any, like, uh, Fenerbahce takes off or any kind of uh, Liga ACB in there. Maybe next time we'll, we'll we'll aim a little higher and try to do better. But I think we, we got a lot in there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm satisfied if you are. 
Yeah, shout out to the finisher, Laurie Markkinen. Uh, last thing, he he just won uh, most improved player in the NBA. So, uh, you know, that's that's our nice little international tip uh, on the way out there. The finisher gets it done. Um, this is One Shining Podcast. We can talk about basketball at any level. If you have a third grade team that you like, send it in. Send us the video. Send we'll the break tape. down. Yeah, send we'll break tape. down the tape. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we have to do. Um, appreciate everybody listening, and we will see you later in the week with Michael Lombardi to break down everything that's happening in the NFL draft. We'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.